0: If you have your Bibles, let's let's start in Ephesians 5. I'm coming back to our series on uh, Sunday nights called Contemporary Issues. And um, I was going to call the series Hot Topics because that's what they are. These are some hot topics that we're going to look at. Some of them hotter than others. I laid a little bit of a foundation. We looked at... uh, Uh, Romans 14 a little bit. We'll actually touch on that tonight. Um, We looked at the scriptures being our final authority. Not my opinions, not uh, my experiences. Um, You know, well, I don't think it's that bad, but what does the Bible say? And uh, look at Ephesians 5. I'm taking forever to get there for some reason. Ephesians 5. I'll probably come back and do this whole chapter one of these days, or at least the first half of the chapter, because it's so powerful when it comes to what Spurgeon called as questionable amusements. Um, but here in, um, uh, in Ephesians 5, I just realized I wrote down a passage and then it, oh, there, it's still there. Okay. Um, Ephesians 5, look at verse number six. Let's start there. I think I told the sound booth we're going to start in verse, uh, 11, but we'll start in verse number six. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now That's an interesting pa- uh, phrase, the children of disobedience. Now, let me ask you this. Who do you, believe, who do you think the children of disobedience are? Lost people. And the wrath of God, no doubt, is coming upon the children of disobedience and, and for these things. So what, what Paul is going to do is he's going to call these believers out of the things that the children of disobedience are involved in. Right? And by the way, whenever we see people saved, and especially in different societies, ungodly societies, what do we see? We see them coming out from among them and being separate. Right? That's what Paul challenged them in 2 Corinthians, when a very pagan society, when uh, the, those believers in Corinth, you know, they had all these vile god te- uh, temples of different gods. Uh, uh, the, one of the main gods there in, in Corinth was the goddess. Um, um, uh Epaphrodites. and uh, and they and uh, she was known to have had uh, a thousand temple prostitutes to bring in money for this goddess. You had uh, different uh, different deities there, and so he's challenging them, guys. You're too intertwined. Come out from among them and be separate. And so, so he says this uh, these vain things that are going to lead you to do things that that these are things that God is going to be judging the lost for now. Let me back up just a little bit because I want to keep in mind the context of this chapter. Look at verse 1 just to set the context. Verse 1 is this. Be ye followers of God as dear children. That's a very simple invitation, isn't it? Be followers of God as dear children. Parents, is that what you want of your children? Follow me. Right? I like what, uh, what Solomon said to his son in the Proverbs. He said, he said my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Which, by the way, that's the call of a father, right? Yes, we want our children's heart, but we also want to show them the way. Let your eyes observe my ways. So he's saying, here's some things we're going to talk about, about you to, going to help you follow God. So no man deceive you with vain words, because of these things come at the wrath of God upon children's disobedience. And some of those things listed are just different vile sins in the previous verses, uh, including uh, idolatry. Look at verse number 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. With who? The children of disobedience. Don't be a partaker with them. Hey, Christian, you have no business uh, come Friday night going to the bar with your coworkers. Okay? Uh, Just little things like that. Be not partakers with them. Partakers of what? The things that cause the wrath of God to come upon them. So think about that. The things that the wrath of God would cause to come upon them. And so what are some of these things? Verse 3. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Be not once named among you as becoming saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. Oh, there's one. Uh, nor, uh, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. That's the that's it speaks to our language, right? Uh, verse 5. For this ye know, that a whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolatrer. right, that's worshiping of other gods, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of of Christ and of God. So so falling into those things, he says, when you you become partakers with children of disobedience, you you are stepping into wrath territory. This is what God's going to be judging these people for. Now think about this. God judged Jesus Christ for your sins. Are we giving Him more reason to judge Jesus? Just a thought to kind of chew on But it says, Be not therefore partakers with them. Verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness. Before you got saved, you were in darkness. Let's face it. But now are ye light in the Lord. So what's the command? Walk as children of light. You are light. Now walk like you are light. You see it? Verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, and here's the the meat of the message. That's kind of the, the, the preface, but here's the meat of the text that I want to look at. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Here's a question. The things that you are involved in, have you proven that it's acceptable to the Lord? That's a challenge. Did you know for the believer there is no difference between the secular and the sacred? Everything in our life is spiritual. And if, we're, if, we're, if we wake up, we realize that everything in life is a spiritual war. Folks, we are in a warfare. Can I tell you you have an enemy tonight? And that enemy does not play fair. We know from the scriptures he comes as an angel of light. What does that tell us? That tells us that it looks good. It doesn't look threatening. It doesn't look damaging. It doesn't look bad. And I could tell you stories, family after family after family, who let a little compromise into their home and lost their children. I sat and listened to testimonies from my own mother. There was no good Bible-believing church in my hometown. My parents are both believers. They did the best they could, brought us to church. And... Um, I started a church there in Southern California, and my parents would drive about an hour and twenty minutes one way for Sunday services. There was no church in their town. My mom gave a testimony one night, just in tears, to the younger parents in the room, and they said, "You don't have any idea what you have here." He said, "Grab a hold of it. Grab a hold of those standards. Grab a hold of the, the, the." the convictions. Because she had to watch two of her daughters waste a decade of their lives to addiction. And one of them is still likely not saved. She's not addicted anymore, but she's a practicing Buddhist. Compromise. Proving what is acceptable to the Lord. Verse 11 and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, this is interesting. It's not enough to just say, oh, I'm going to have nothing to do with that. No, no, you are to reprove it. You are to call it out. You're to bring light to it. And we are to warn others. Did you know there are different Christians of different uh, uh, maturity levels here? And when you've discovered an unfruitful work of darkness, it is your duty to point that thing out. Say, hey, watch out for this thing. Watch out for that. We're not going to talk about tonight. We are going to talk about music one of these nights. But um, uh, remember, I I gave the little testimony this morning about how my mind started wandering when I was a young youth pastor. and and, And the devil had so convinced me that here's a good idea. Start thinking about leaving your wife and kid and go join your own old band. You know what got me thinking down that road? I'm bored, I'm driving the the riding lawnmower, and I'm like, you know what? I think I still have some of the recordings of the old band. And I start listening to them. And then I started pulling out other music I used to listen to. Before long I started spiraling away, and I was like, I'm just gonna leave all this. And folks, I had the most wonderful marriage. And at that time I had the most wonderful marriage. And I had a brand new baby daughter. And the music so, like, you know, by the way, the root word of music is the word muse. Think about that, pun intended. Means to think. We'll talk about that later. But but have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now, I'm going to speak to that verse in a minute. But, uh, well, I'll go ahead and speak to it now. The Bible talks about being wise concerning that which is good, but innocent concerning evil. But I will say this, once you've stepped into that thing, you can't ignore it anymore. We've got to talk about it. I've been through um, 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 several, with several people, uh, guys that have struggled with pornography addiction. And I've been through a curriculum with them where we kind of go through some things. And let me just say, there is some vile filth that we address in there. But the author says this, I'm not talking about anything you have not looked at. See, they've already gone down that road, so now we need to address it so we can get them out of that ditch. You see, when you've already crossed that line, we've got we to gotta deal with that stuff. We've got to dig into it. So I would say this. In, in this setting and amongst ourselves, we ought not talk about those things done in secret. We ought not. But once you've crossed the, some lines, we've got to bring light to some things, and we've got to reprove them. Look at verse number 12, uh, or verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Now, now we were called. We're light in the Lord, right? So that means we are the one to be a reproving and bringing, making them manifest. They're brought by the light. For whosoever doth make manifest is light. The person that is bringing it out. You're living in light of your character, your calling. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And here's what a child of light does. He reproves and makes manifest those things that are in darkness. You see, if you're going down a dark alley and there's a lot of uh, of things that could trip you up or that could hurt you, one of the best things you can do is shine a big bright light on it. And now you can walk through carefully. In fact, it's in this text that it says, walk circumspectly. The idea is you're looking all around. Why? There's dangers all around. But if we can shed light on this thing, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, we'll have some wisdom as we walk. So it says this, In uh, um, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whosoever doth make manifest is light. Verse fourteen. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. The challenge and the command was walk as children of light. You and I need to have the light of Christ. God will give you light if you and I wake up. That's the word. That's the verbiage here, right? Wake up, because here's what's happening today. Christians are gullible, and Christians are sleeping. And the challenge here, the command here is wake up and let God give you light. Next few moments, I want to share something with you, but let me pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us now as we already looked at some scripture. I pray that you stir our hearts, Lord. Help us to set aside preconceived ideas and notions. Help us, uh, most importantly, to set aside pride. Lord, as we talked about revival this morning, I think one of the things that's keeping revival back in so many churches and so many Christians' lives is that we love to dabble with our idols. Help us, Lord, to put away the idols of the society around us. And may we be a distinct people, peculiar, zealous into good works. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in California, uh, my wife and I, we, we... we homeschooled our kids, and in California, you didn't have the programs like you have here where you get, like, allotments and stuff. Uh, the money did not follow the, the child in California. And so we had to make quite a sacrifice to try to homeschool our kids. And so we always looked for free things, and, um, and uh, we'd take them to museums or different things. Well, there was an exhibit in, uh, in Los Angeles, and so we drove about two hours to, to L.A. at a museum there, and they had a, a Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit. Really cool. A bunch of artifacts and different uh, uh, fragments of Scripture they found. If you know the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls, really, really fascinating when we talk about the preservation of Scripture, how God had preserved His Word in the Dead Sea Scrolls is one of those uh, proving factors. Um, But anyways, as we're going through, we have one of those. uh, You've been to a museum or something where you have the tour, the audio thing, and you kind of go to this one, push the button, and and it kind of talks about it. Well, we go to the one area, and there's a video playing, It may have even been an excerpt from uh, the old Ten Commandments movie. And it's playing the scene where it says, Thou shalt know the gods before me. And uh, and what's interesting is it was was playing out all these little artifacts that they had found and discovered. And they said when they they were uncovering some of these ruins and some of these old Israelite houses, many of them had a hidden room somewhere. And they had hidden in there a little... um, uh, uh, little altar in these little female figurines. Now, listen, these weren't Barbie dolls. These were little gods and goddesses that they had, many of them, many of them had secretly kept in their house somewhere. Now, what's interesting about that is this. Separately and publicly, like you and I are sitting right now, they'd come and they'd do Sabbath together, and they'd go down to the temple, or they'd go down to the synagogue. They'd do their thing, and they'd have all that together. But then separately, they'd each go to their room, their little sin closet, and they would worship their little deities, like the gods around them. Now, to you and I, that sounds really strange, right? That sounds so far out there. But, but let me just say this. The devil's clever, and what he's going to do is he's going to match things in, the, in that society and that day that are going to be appealing and each of us are going to have our little closet things that we might run to. It's no different. But what's amazing is they, many of them all had the same struggle separately. And one of the things they didn't do is bring it to light and talk about it. Can you imagine talking to your neighbor and realizing, oh, you've got that too? I've got that too. Maybe we can help each other with this. I don't know. We are prone to do these things. So he says the challenge is this. Wake up, sleepy Christians. Wake up because you are sleeping on the job. What happens if a soldier is sleeping on the job? Not good. We can look at the Roman days. That was the death penalty. It's pretty severe even today in the combat zone. I remember I was the sergeant of the guard over about three or four guard towers when I was in uh, Balad, Iraq. And, uh, and I had to make sure those guys stayed awake because every night we had people coming up to the fence and trying to lob mortars over and all this kind of stuff. And uh, one, of the, one of the parts of the base while I was there uh, was stormed by about 30 people. It was really foolish. They got captured. But, but, uh, but boy, if people were sleeping, what did that meant for all the people on the base that were sleeping? You see. It's serious. And, folks, we're called to be watchmen. We're called to be soldiers. We're called to be, um, what's the word, sober, vigilant, because we do have an adversary. We may come back to Ephesians uh, uh, 5. Let's look at Romans 14 real quick, and then I'm going to get to the, the meat of the message here. Romans 14. Uh, Romans 14. I love Romans 14. A lot of insight in this, but we're going to look at the key passage, I believe, of Romans 14. It says this, that uh, Romans 14, verse number 5. One man esteemeth a day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. I wish I had time to take you through every verse in this chapter because it's so good. But I want you to think about this and what we just read in Ephesians. Prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. Prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. Verse number six. He that regardeth the day regardeth unto the Lord. He that regardeth not a day to the Lord, he does not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth thanks to the Lord. He that eateth not uh, to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth thanks. I want to ask you this question. He that esteemeth a day, or he that regardeth a day, regardeth unto the Lord. Can you regard Halloween unto the Lord? Um, I want to talk briefly about the origins of this so-called holiday because more and more Christians are getting involved in it, partaking of it. By the way, I would encourage you, I was going to play a little video tonight, but I couldn't find a short enough one. There are several out there. But, uh, but look up something along the lines of ex witch talks about Halloween. And uh, you're going to find out a lot of stuff. Many of them have become born-again Christians, and they are passionate against, boy, they are preaching it. Christians, you have no business. No business. I've been over there. You have no business. Okay. I want to reprove some things. I want to call them out. People in our country are all caught up in this so-called holiday, not realizing that it's of the devil himself. I was trying to get the verse together. I, I lost it, uh, but in 1 Kings, I believe it was, um, um, God was, was condemning the people of Israel about a lot of things that they fell into, uh, different idol worship and different things like that. And what's interesting is they admitted to just one of all these idol worships. He, God listed all these other idols or all these other false deities, and they said, well, yeah, that one we're guilty of. Now, was God wrong or are they wrong? I think it's an easy answer, right? They were wrong. But I don't think they were completely wrong. God was exposing to them how they are doing wrong, but in their mind, they weren't doing wrong. In other words, they were ignorantly following these false deities with the exception of the one that they admitted to. And if we're not careful, you and I can ignorantly fall for the devil's traps. That's why we must wake up. That's why we must uh, be discerning, and God will give you light. And, uh, you know, and so uh, I want you to listen to this and just, just, just think of some of these things. The founder of the satanic church, Anton LaVey, said this, I'm glad that Christian parents let their children worship the devil at least one night out of the year. Now, how many Christian parents are actually actively letting their children go and worship the devil when they're not trick-or-treating? I would say probably Zero. But he knew there was something behind what they were doing that was akin to worshiping the devil. Now, that's a very interesting statement. Just like these people, we're not worshiping these other gods. God said, oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. I might mispronounce his name, but Tom Saguinet, former high priest of the Celtic tradition of Wicca. By the way, Wicca means wise one professing themselves to be wise. And uh, really when we talk about witchcraft, many times we're talking about Wiccan. He said this, the modern holiday that we call Halloween has its origins in the full moon closest to November 1st. The witches' new year. It was a time when the spirits, or demons, were supposed to be at their peak power. He went on to say that Halloween is purely and absolutely evil. This is the former high priest. And there is nothing we ever have to do uh, excuse me, have or will do that would make it acceptable to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how did it all come to start with? The origins of Halloween is the Celtic festival of, uh, of uh, Samhain. Um, it's spelt Samhain, but it's pronounced Samhain. So, if I mix it up, that's what I, that's, I forgot, uh, which is the Lord of death and of evil spirits. Long before Christ, at least 2,000 years earlier, um, the Druids in Britain, Ireland, Scotland, France, Germany, and other Celtic countries observed the end of summer by making sacrifices to Sawin. And um, the Celtics considered November first to be the day of death because the leaves would fall. Were falling. Uh, that's a little behind for us, but for most people, <laughs> um, uh, it was getting darker sooner and the temperatures were dropping. So they believed that that Ola, the sun god, was losing strength, and that. Uh, uh, Sawin, Lord of Death, was overpowering him. So they, the Celtics, also believed that on October 31st uh, that Sawin, Lord of Death, assembled the spirits of all who had died during the previous year. And they also believed that their spirits had been confined into, um, uh, into to, uh, excuse me, inhabit animals' bodies for the past year as punishment for their evil deeds, and they were allowed to return to their former home to visiting the living on the eve of the feast of Sawin. October 31st. Uh, Druid priests led the people into diabolical worship ceremonies in which horses, cats, black sheep, oxen, human beings, and other offerings were rounded up, uh, stuffed into wicker cages, and burned to death. This was done uh, uh, when uh, they believed that that appeased Samhain and kept spirits from harming them. By the way, to this day, there are areas, especially rural areas, where you better watch your children because they might be a human sacrifice. There was a little satanic uh, village near where I grew up uh, in the high desert and uh, police didn't even go over there. They just kind of governed themselves and, uh, and people would lose cattle, people would lose different things. Kids would go missing in the region uh, on Halloween night every year. What was amazing is uh, I believe it was a couple years after I had left California, I'm trying sure to remember the date, but, uh, but, but several years ago, we had our typical, notorious California wildfires. And you can actually look at the mountain, because they they're on the base of this mountain, the mountains where I grew up in. The fires were coming, and one spot, the fires came way down and burned up that little community. <laughs> and so I think uh, God answers some prayers there, honestly. But, but, uh, but they sacrifice humans, okay? Uh, we'll get into some other things. Halloween has always been a celebra- uh, celebration of death. Even in the Bible, there was a time that um, Isaiah talked about these people as God was pleading with them, and they did not want to follow God, and they said this, we have made a covenant with death. And the the conclusion basically is, so we're going to be safe. You know know what the the modern-day interpretation of that is? How many times have you heard this? I made a deal with the devil, so I'm going to be okay. It is amazing how many movie stars or rock stars or people that have accomplished something made some sort of a deal with the devil and and got success. And you think, do they really believe in the devil? Probably not, but they made a deal. Let me say right here that most folks today have no clue as to where and how Halloween came to existence. And they see absolutely nothing at all harmful about it. People today don't take Halloween seriously. Well, let me say that we can be assured that the witches and Satan worshipers of today take it very seriously. Halloween is the high holy day of the year for the satanic cults. They've equated it to, it's the equivalent of what the resurrection Sunday is to, to us. That is their highest and holiest day. All of the public stores are selling products that glorify the evil time of year, uh, whether they know it or not. Um. Do you, uh, do you truly think that God is pleased with evil activity, the, the, the realm of darkness? We see often, over and over again, the unfruitful works of darkness. We see this idea of darkness, death, and hell, and darkness, and scare, and, and all these kinds of things. Um, back in the time of the Celtic people, when uh, this was getting a, a good uh, foothold, uh, these, uh, the question is, how were these sacrifices obtained? So the Druid priests and people would go from house to house asking for calves, black sheep, and even human beings. Those who gave were promised prosperity, and those who refused were cursed or threatened. People were also told that it was likely that all of the wandering spirits would get hungry. So if you set out a treat for them, they will not trick you or curse you. Here's the origin of trick-or-treat. The former high priest of Wicca, Uh, Tom uh, Sanguinet, said, trick-or-treat is a reenactment of the Druid practice. The candy has replaced the human sacrifice of old, but it is still uh, appeasement of the deceptive evil spirits. When folks give out Halloween candy today, they are, although innocently providing a sacrifice to a false god, they are participating in idolatry. Now, even unknowingly, and Paul's going to address this. I'll I'll bring us to 1 Corinthians in a bit. Did you know that even jack-o'-lanterns have its origin with these pagan practices? Now, folks, I love anything artistic. Um, I like to paint stuff. I like to, you know, carve stuff, whatever. And uh, that's a hard one to let go of because it's fun, it's innocent, it's demonic. In the book, The Occult's Conceit, the author uh, says on page 190, the candlelit pumpkin or skull served as a signal to mark those, uh, those farms or homes that were sympathetic to the Satanists and thus deserving of mercy when the terror or, or, or today trick-or-treat of the night began. Further, uh, an old edition of um, the World Book Encyclopedia says, the apparently harmless lighted pumpkin face of the jack-o'-lantern is an ancient symbol of a damned soul. What about costumes? They originated with the Druid uh, death uh, rites as well. As people and animals were screaming in agony while being burned to death, the, um, the observers would dress in costumes made of animal skin and heads. They would dance, chant, and jump through the flames in hope of, wandering, uh, excuse me, of warding off evil spirits. By the way, what are evil spirits? Or fallen angels? Demons. Right. The devil's Minions. It is obvious that Halloween is a pagan day rooted in the the worst kind of pagan rituals and worship. And we can continue down the list of symbolic satanic things associated with Halloween. The Bible commands uh, Christians in Ephesians uh, 5.1, I'm sorry, 5, yeah, not 1, is it? But to have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, I believe that's 5.10, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness as we just read, but rather reprove them. There's obviously nothing to do with Halloween that is Christ-honoring. It is pagan sacrifice day, and the Bible warns Christians in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 20, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. The very next verse goes in, can you take the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils? Let's bring it a little bit closer. No, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to twist God's words. Halloween is glorifying wickedness and evil. I remember when I was a teenager, my parents actually stopped allowing us to participate when I was probably uh, a sophomore in high school, Maybe, maybe a little younger. But we grew up in a Christian home, definitely not a strong conservative Christian home with strong convictions of any kind. But my parents were recognizing some things. My dad grew up in Papua New Guinea, by the way, and he saw witchcraft firsthand. He saw masks and and those kinds of things. And when they put on these masks, they they would channel these spirits in Papua New Guinea. But I noticed something, and you may have noticed this too, that one person said it wisely. For a lot of people, on Halloween, the masks actually come off. They dress kind of what's on the inside. This guy is the freedom now, cross dress. He's going as a woman. This guy over here is demonic and got all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And, folks, I was no different. I did some of the craziest things that I could think of, think, think of because that night it was socially acceptable. You can be as freakish as you want to be. Who are some of the so called heroes that are glorified this time of year? Well, you cannot celebrate Halloween without a witch. The oldest known illustration of a witch dates back to the pre-Columbian era. Today, uh, witches uh, cast spells over their candy. By the way, this is a very common thing. They will go up and down the aisles of grocery stores casting spells on, this, on the candy, on the trick-or-treat candy. They'll do that. I was uh, listening to one of those interviews with a former witch who uh, has been saved, and she said, in building up to this day, this, 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 this uh, Wiccan and pagan and Satanist high day, And she talked about how she separated that She never got into the Satanist side of things, but she was a Wiccan. She's like, that stuff goes darker. And uh, so even with that, there's a level of debauchery with it. Um, But she said this. She said, in building up to that, we would carefully craft our sleep schedule, the month building up to it, so that we'd be well-rested and be able to stay up all night that night to be able to practice our craft. She said it was during those times... That many of them even fasted, and she kind of made this point. She said, uh, "She said it's amazing we'd stay up all night and worship and do our craft," and she's like, "And hey, we can't even get people to come out to an hour prayer meeting." <laughs> that was kind of her little side note in there, like, "Like Christians need to get serious about it because Wiccans are serious, Muslims are serious, Mormons are serious." I look at the commitment to some of these cults and it puts us to shame, folks. Now the motivation is different. We're not doing to be saved. But boy, we need to do what Paul challenged and wake up. Take things serious. But it's like the the high day for them. A drawing shown the pagan goddess um, I'm probably going to butcher this Uh, An old drawing depicts her naked, wearing a pointed hat and riding a broomstick. Whenever you find witchcraft, you're going to find nudity, divinations, gross immorality, and the occult practice, just to name a few things. According to the Old Testament, uh, and by the way, you're going to find that with any kind of witchcraft involvement. You're often going to find molestation and rape, blood sacrifices, I wish I had time to get into it. I've, I've sat in several counseling sessions where a young girl maybe heard voices, had different issues, and we start talking. We ask God to, to bring her back to, to maybe where this all started and try to bring things to memory. And Many times what we do is our soul, it's kind of like if you lose an arm, your body goes into shock to save your life. It pulls back all the blood and tries to protect the vital organs and that kind of stuff. In some ways, your soul does that too. When you go through something incredibly traumatic, your brain tucks that way down so you don't even remember it. You know, you might say, well, I have a whole, uh, my my mind just draws a blank the whole summer of, you know, 2019. I don't remember anything that happened in 2019. I wonder if you experienced some trauma. So we ask God, would you remind us, would you take us back there? And on several occasions, we found out that this young person was taken out of the home as a young girl, taken to some sort of ritual where she was molested, where they killed an animal and poured blood all over this girl's body. Let me just say, whenever blood's involved, the, the devil is a horrible mimic. I mean, he's a great mimic, but horrible. We understand that there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, The devil also realizes there's power in demonic blood. And these people many times are plagued with open doors. They're, they're involved, you know, and, and, and let me just say, this, sometimes we kind of push this aside. We don't talk about it in American Christianity. Why? Because, you know, because, you know we're, we're a little more intellectual than that. You know, they, those things happen in the, in the jungle of Africa or in Papua New Guinea, uh, those kinds of things. No, no, the devil just has a lot more to hide behind in America. We have the Internet. We have addictions. We have different things that he can hide behind. But one thing that's, that's very common when the devil's involved is nudity and immorality and then these divinations and those kinds of things. According to the Old Testament, witchcraft and the whole spectrum of the occult were capital crimes, punishable by death. We see that all throughout uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Uh, suffer not a witch to live. Um, why? Why? because, let me just say this, they don't just kind of keep their religious ritual to themselves. When you are using unclean spirits to cast spells on another person, that is not good, (laughs) okay? Um, And, boy, I wish I had time. There's a good book out there. It needs to be updated, but um, I think it was written in the 80s or maybe 90s. Um, But it was called 14 Things Witches Wish uh, Wish Parents Never Knew, or something something along those lines. And um, in there, he brings a very good point. That you're going to be hard up to find a witch that claims they're a bad witch. You have white magic, you have black magic. White magic uses earth and the elements, and one of the very uh, we, we start teaching our children very young, right? Earth, wind, water. What do we just teach them? That's all part of the white magic side of things. You know, we're using the elements, we're using the, the the force of nature. That's Wiccan. Then there's black magic, which believes they pull the power from the devil himself. By the way, it's all demonic. It's all demonic. So you have movies, stories like Alice and or no, Alice, I also want um, um, Dorothy and Toto and Wizard of Oz. Thank you, Wizard of Oz. Okay. So she lands, and uh, she's met by Glenda the Good Witch. says, are you a good witch or a bad witch? Now, think about this. You have the Wicked Witch of the West, Wicked Witch of the East, the Good Witch of the North, and where's Dorothy from? The South, from Kansas. And they go on this journey. She finds the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion and the Tin Man, and, uh, and they're on their way to find, get this title, the All-Powerful all-knowing. Wizard of Oz. Now, who's all-powerful all-knowing? God. They get there, and they find it's this feeble old man behind a curtain. And they all realize that God is not powerful at all, but that they all had the power within themselves all along. The tin man actually had a heart. The cowardly lion actually had courage within himself. You see what I'm saying? And Dorothy could have gone home at any time because she just had a stupid dream. But we start teaching these <laughs> lessons. Let's think about how this creeps in. I wish I had time to go into Little Mermaid. Not going. By the way, do you know who Little Mermaid's father is? In the Bible, the name is Dagon. The head and arms of a man, the tail of a fish. Now, what did God do to Dagon? Dagon. Knocked them over a few times. They did not play nice. Not to mention there are other things in there. Symbolically selling her soul to the devil, Ursula. right? Trying to make a deal with the devil. Rebelling against her father. And in the end, she gets everything after it all. It's all said and done. In the New Testament, Galatians 5.20, witchcraft is listed among the things that are to be renounced by believers. It says, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like, which it tells you before, as I told you in time passes, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you, is it bad to envy? Is it bad to murder? Is it bad to be drunk? Witchcraft is right in there. And I would say any form of it. Idolatry is in there. Acts 19, 18 and 19 records how those who became Christians renounced all their dealings with the occult and burned any occult material that they had, including books. And many that came, uh, it says, that many of that came uh, and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also uh, used... Um, uh, uh, A curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all the men. And they counted the price of them and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver. They made a sacrifice to follow Christ. They said, "We don't need this stuff. It's incompatible with my newfound faith." John MacArthur said this: "Dressing up like witches, ghosts, and goblins is incompatible with Christianity, with the Christian's testimony." Furthermore, many of the costumes of Halloween associated with the worst kind of pagan ceremonies. Uh, they are usually centered uh, on the sinister things such as demons, witchcraft, and superstitions. Now, I know nobody in here is thinking, I'm going to dress up little Johnny as a demon. But Let me just say, we go into these things so naively and so ignorantly. Am I against children dressing up? My children have a whole box of dress-up clothes. They love dressing up. But I'll tell you one night of the year, they're just not going to do it. We're just going to draw a clear line. Look, tonight people dress up for a different reason, so we're not going to do that. Now, you may not have the same motivation, but it is the holiday. It is their high day. And we want no part of it Halloween is focused on violence. Halloween emphasizes uh, uh, mutilation, murder, blood, guts, and gore. It even glorifies it. Millions of people and many little children will be exposed to some of uh, almost endless string of TV programs, videos, uh, community, and even uh, church activities that glorify mutilation, torture, and bizarre murders this Halloween. Folks, there are churches that will do a haunted house. way, what's the purpose of a haunted house? Anybody? to scare you, to put images in your head. Halloween focuses on violence. Children sometimes have difficulty separating between fantasy and fact, and that is taking its toll on our society. There is another reason Halloween is harmful. Halloween is harmful because it emphasizes fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, the Bible says that God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and a love and a sound mind. So let me ask you this. If a spirit of fear comes not from God but from the devil... What do we do when we intentionally open ourselves up to fear? By watching scary movies, video games, these kinds of things? I'll tell you right now, we are opening ourselves up to unclean spirits. Fear brings torments, John said. It's not a joke. Fear is one of the most powerful Human emotions, and uh, often one of the most damaging emotions. When we expose our our children with such traumatizing influence, it takes a toll on them. I told you about some of these young ladies that I counseled. Who uh, I say young ladies, there were more ladies than men that I that I've dealt with in the area of spiritual warfare. But there was two sisters. One lady had premonitions. She she could see things ahead of time and um so we kind of started going through well tell me about your past Tell me about some certain things and and we were able to pinpoint it back to when it all started there was a scary movie that dad brought home one night i dealt with her sister who had other issues going on and she before they had a chance to talk she brought it back to that same movie this we're talking 12 years earlier kind of interesting But fear is no joke. Now, these, they serve a useful purpose. Uh, they serve no useful purpose. In fact, uh, long-lasting emotional problems can develop as a result of some of these things. Frightening experience encountered at Halloween activities and haunted houses. Halloween is harmful because it focuses on the occult. Uh, more... Uh, um, it focuses on the occult more and teaches, uh, it's teaching, these are being taught in like public schools and things like that. You know, it's interesting, there's two holidays that are celebrated with all the political correctness, there's still two holidays that are celebrated in public schools because they're seen as non religious Valentine's and Halloween. Now, it may be non religious for some people, but some definitely see it as such. An obvious religious day. An increasing number of people are seeing the dangers associated with celebrating Halloween. Even lost people are starting to point it out and realize this is not, this is not a good night. Christians, when exposed to the dark side of the day, are deciding uh, that celebrating is not pleasing to the Lord. Romans twelve twenty one: Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And I'm going to close with this. Turn to Romans 14 again, unless you're still there. Romans 14. Um, <clears> Romans <throat> 14. And I want to say this before we close. One of the objections is, well, don't you understand, you know, we celebrate Christmas, December 25th, and that was a, uh, that was a Druid p- pagan holiday. The difference is, here's what I believe it is, it's, it happens to land on the same day that, yes, there is a pagan holiday on December 25th. But you know there's no carryover? There's nothing about the Druid holiday that is reflected in the holiday of Christmas. Now, I will say this, we have Christmas or we have Resurrection Sunday, many call Easter. There are things that the world is trying to do to deter and and distract us from the purpose of those things. But that is much different from the thing being inherently demonic and trying to make it good. See, we can deal with, oh, they brought Santa into the picture. And I can tell my kids, Santa is not real. I got in trouble in a church one time when I said that, and I'm like <laughs> there was a parent. "You just said that, my kid was in the service." I'm like, "Well, stop lying to your kids." Um, <laughs> you know, we can talk about the Easter Bunny and say, "You know what, that doesn't belong here. It's about Christ and the resurrection. But can I just say this, as many ways as I've sliced it and tried to assess it, there is no redeeming value to this demonic day that we call Halloween.) <clears throat> By the way, I don't take pleasure in this kind of stuff, but I do want to remind us frequently and deepen our conviction because it's so, he's prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Folks, I've had some convictions that were settled. My wife and I, we've talked about this recently, and we're like, we've softened some of these convictions. And we're starting to see some things spring up in our kids that we realize we've got to get back to, to separation. Um, Romans 14, look at, the, look at verse number 20. Now, now, what Paul is bringing to the forefront is two, two topics, meat and ho- holy days, okay? So I want you to think about that. It's very broad, but he specifically is talking about two things, meat and holy days. He talks about not being a stumbling block. You know, hey, if someone's not eating meat, don't, don't eat your steak in front of the weaker Christian who's, who's only going to eat herbs, right? You know, oh, isn't this steak so good? You know? He's <laughs> like, don't cause him to stumble and don't be a stumbling block for him, Okay? Um, And holy days, holy days. Remember, we looked at verse 5. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. You better come to a conclusion and be fully persuaded. It does not mean, oh, I just, I chose a side and I made up my mind. No, 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 you better be fully persuaded. I'm going to show you what that means in a minute. But verse number 20. For meat, or for whatever your liberty is that you're looking at, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense." That's to cause an offense. But think about this now. For meat, destroy not the work of God. For an innocent little day of dress-up, destroy not the work of God in your child's life. They can dress up the next day. And all the candy goes on sale. Just pray over it. Destroy not the work of God for those things. Verse 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. In other words, I feel I have great liberty. Then you keep that between you and God. That's what it's saying, have it before God. Because he's talking about those holy days that may cause an offense and the meat that may cause an offense. So go and do it at home between you and God. Hast thou faith? Have it before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. Don't condemn yourself in the liberty you are stepping into. Now, here's the key verse, and this is a powerful verse. We quote part of it all the time, what serves not of faith is sin. When we plug it into its context, it says this, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eat not of faith. For whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Now, the context is this again. So, here's a guy who has liberty to eat the meat. Here's a guy that his conscience is not allowing him to eat the meat. If he, the guy whose conscience is not allowing him to eat the meat, sees this brother eating meat in front of him and he's sitting here, oh, it's okay. You know, I'm a Christian. I've been saved for a long time. This meat is just fine. And he's like, well, if this brother's doing it, I guess it's okay. And he takes a bite. He did that not being fully persuaded in his own mind, but just being peer pressured or just convinced in the moment. He's condemned because he didn't do it of faith. See, put verse 23 and verse 5 together. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. If you're not fully persuaded and you cannot do this thing by faith, you are condemned in that thing. It can be the most innocent of things, but you are condemning yourself in that thing, and to you it is sin. And what are you sinning against? You're sinning against your own conscience before God. So here's what I say about this. If you love it, you know, well, I just love, you know, my kids love it, and they go, you know, it's innocent. We kind of get the neighbors together, and we knock doors, we go trick-or-treating, and, you know, you love it. Don't make your decision based on emotion. Don't make your decision based on what's what we've always done. And don't do it without proving all things, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. If you take the due diligence, if you take the time and say, God, before you in a good conscience, I believe I can do this to your glory. I believe I can please you in all thing, in all this. And through your study and through your careful, prayerful study as you're looking into what is the history of this, what's behind it, and all that kind of stuff, you still come to the conclusion that I believe we have liberty in Christ to do this thing with my children, and you are fully persuaded in your own mind you can do this thing by faith, and I would say this, by all means. But I caution you, leave other Christians out of it. For this thing, do not destroy the work of God. But I would be shocked if you did that with an honest conscience before God and you still came to the conclusion oh, I think this is good for a Christian. I know it's a heavy sermon for tonight. Appreciate you all listening. Sometimes when it comes to the fruitful works of darkness, we do have to stand and expose. Say, guys, can I tell you a little secret? The devil is not out to trip you up. He's not. He's not out to hurt you. Folks, he's out to destroy you. And he does not play fair. You know who he loves to go after? This guy right here, this little baby. He's going after her in the most innocent of ways. Why do you think Disney is trying so hard to push transgender in cartoons? Why do you think all these things are popping up in public schools? Why do you think public schools are pushing to not let children or the parents know what their children are learning? he doesn't play fair. So in the most innocent of things, we begin to open ourselves up to the spiritual war. You know how many people I've worked with who one innocent night of having a sleepover with her girlfriends, that someone brought out a Ouija board, and they just played this silly innocent game, and they began tormented by nightmares or some kind of demonic activity in their life. Until they renounce the thing. He doesn't play fair. Oh well it's pink. How bad could it be? It's a little pink Ouija board. You can buy one at Target. There's a pink one and a blue one. I saw just recently there's a Christian version of it. It's a it's about communicating with the Holy Spirit. Same setup. The devil's tricky. And you know who he's getting? The Christians who are sleeping, wake up. Wake up. Father, we thank you for your word.